Good morning, uh, everybody. I'd like to welcome you all to the Daily Energy Markets podcast. I'm delighted today to be joined by Dr. Carol Nachli, CEO of Crystal Energy, Oli Hansen, Head of Commodity Strategy at Saxo Bank, and Mukesh Sadev, SVP, Head of Downstream Oil Trading at Rice Tide Energy. Thanks so much, uh, everyone, for joining us there. We've got uh, a few of the headlines circulating uh, the world. Nothing much has changed in the last 24 hours, uh, but but you know uh, this, the story the story continues. Um, Cara, let me start with you. Let's just get a perspective from you on this sort of overarching feeling of bearishness that has developed in the markets in the last week or two. Uh, plenty supply, according to everybody. No matter what OPEC does, the price is not going to be you know supported any further up than where we are today. Um, what more does OPEC need to do in a couple of weeks when it meets if it wants to, you know, push push the balances, let's say, in a different direction? Good morning, Yana. Good morning, everyone. Uh, you're absolutely right. There is more of a bearish sentiment currently in all markets, especially, again, it's about when we talk about bearish or bullish sentiment, we have to take it compared to what? So especially uh, compared to what we saw uh, a month ago, especially at the outbreak of the Hamas-Israeli war, when many people feared uh, that the war would escalate and was going to involve, was going to involve bigger players that are more relevant to uh, global oil and gas supplies, that did not materialize. So the geopolitical risk premium that we saw coming into the market dissipated. Add on top of that the economic outlook and the uncertainty, and uh, not, not looking so rosy, especially for as we head towards 2024. Demand. And yes, there is some growth, but again, relatively to what a threshold we are considering and how fast. And supply, non-OPEC supply, has been responding to higher prices in the past. So it's really market dynamic that explain and market fundamentals that largely justify the current market prices that we are seeing. What OPEC can do, I mean, if they want to see higher prices, of course, it's no-brainer. They would have to cut more. But I'm not quite sure how wise that strategy is because the more you cut, the more you have spare capacity in the system and safety cushion, and that by itself can exercise some pressure downward on prices and reduces volatility, which is not bad after all for consumers in particular. But at the moment, I would say if I were OPEC, I would simply wait and see how things evolve, especially Diala. If you look at their latest market report from OPEC versus the IEA, because I could see your first item on the news was the reference to the IEA, there is a huge difference in their expectations for demand for 2024. If I got the numbers right, and I think I scribbled down some figures, OPEC expect 2.2 million barrels a day growth in 2024. Mm -hmm. The IEA expects that figure to be less than a million. So a huge disparity in terms of the outlook for next year, and that highlights the level of uncertainty that OPEC and other producers, of course, will have to deal with. Yeah, thanks, Carol. Uh, Ori, let me go to you with that, that uncertainty. You know, that word has been around, uh, you know, for two years now because of the dynamics, that we've, the new dynamics, let's say, that, that have come into the market, OPEC policy and what it's doing, the Russia-Ukraine war, these disparities in demand projections for next year. Uh, we've just seen inflation figures come out yesterday from the US, which looks like things are coming under control more. And what does that mean then? do you think, for demand next year uh, in terms of how macro policy would influence demand and therefore oil oil expectations? 
Well, it most certainly helps uh, simply because we have been in a period of rising uh, cost of funding and uh, that rising cost of funding you can see has almost killed the uh, the green transformation industry. Uh, that was also the biggest uh, gainers yesterday uh, simply because funding costs has been going up to the extent and companies and and uh, and, and those looking uh, forward planning they are they need to have some more insurance that uh, that that cost is not going to continue to rise and I think that was that was basically the signal that was sent yesterday with the lower CPI. We saw a, a big drop in bond deals across the curve in the U.S. We saw interest rates cuts next year being priced at a, at a full 1%. So this is really the kind of news the market needs. Uh, and, and together with some of the, and that could trigger some some restocking, perhaps not, not as much in oil, but uh, uh, because I'll say the market is still pretty finely balanced there. But in some of the other markets where we could see some restocking start to to uh, to underpin prices. So, uh, so generally... Uh, that would uh, most certainly be a, a positive uh, a trigger for 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 next year if we, if we if we have a reassurance that that peak is now in and we could see lower funding costs. Okay, thanks, Ole. Well, Kirsch, just let's, you're in Australia, but that, you're, so you're you're closer to China than any of us are. Uh, uh, give us a, a sense of where we're at there, the sentiment of demand that's going to come from Asia, from China, in principle. You can include India into the bucket if you like. Um, uh, India's, of course, got a much better projections for next year. But what is, as we approach now the end of this year uh, and China's performance thus far, um, how much you know is the market pinning hopes on? We're going to see actually an upturn for Chinese demand next year. It's been okay this year by all accounts, but some are saying those stimulus measures are coming in. That's going to make a difference to the Chinese economy and consumer, etc. Now, uh, thank you for having me on this podcast. Uh, good to be back again. Uh, I think uh, I'll pick on uh, what uh, what was started in the earlier, right? Uh, the bearish sentiment, right? I think if we look at China, or we let's let's look at the globe first, right? Uh, we have demand projections uh, 23, 2023 finishing around two point five, and next year about one point four million barrels per day. And we believe that uh, jet demand is still to come back and we have about 0.7 million barrels of that demand is coming to be jet, right? Uh, also, if you look at from an OPEC versus a non-OPEC uh, perspective out, most of the demand, 90% of the demand growth is in the non-OPEC, which is you know China, India, and those part of the world. So when we look at 2024, I think 2024 is what I would say year of a divide, right? We return to normal uh, refinery runs, normal supply growth numbers, but there is a big divide emerging. Uh, if I just uh, play a little bit more on the numbers, right? Uh, this year, we had a supply growth of about 1.1, where the non-OPEC was growing at 1.6, where OPEC has been cutting 0.7 million barrels per day. If you go to next year, uh, half of the, the 1.6 turns down to 0.8 for the non-OPEC. So I think the key question in my mind is, is not so much about China demand. I think the stimulus will work and China China will not grow at the, the usual rates, which everybody expects, but China will still continue to be steady. That, that's what our expectation. In that regard, what I would say is that uh, does OPEC get a more control a steering wheel or less control steering wheel next year? I think our view is OPEC actually gets a better handle on the steering wheel because the non-OPEC supply, which grew about 1.6 million barrels today, uh, this year, will turn down to 0.8. US will not grow that much, uh, like 0.9. Uh, Brazil, Norway, Venezuela, nothing much is going to come out. So if next year demand is steady, reverts to a mean, the non-OPEC continues to grow, 
uh, and the non-OPEC supply goes down, I believe OPEC actually in Russia get even more good handle on the supply side of the equation. And that's why we believe that the oil prices would probably, uh, I've been saying for quite some time, hang in the high 80s. I think I maintain my call, hang in the high 80s for 2024. And China and JET will, will continue to play a big part of it. Okay, thanks, Mukesh. That's great. I mean, I was going to mention the U.S. production. My sense is that, yes, we've seen a, that take off again this year, other than OPEC supply. I, I had sense that that would continue into next year, that that's going to be actually become more of a concern for OPEC back to the 2014-15 sort of market share days, but perhaps not. Carol, just back to you, talking about market share and quotas, um, OPEC, one thing that they're going to be discussing, uh, presumably in a couple of weeks, is is their plans for quotas next year within themselves. Uh, you know, you've had some members not meeting, um, even complying to what they should be producing. Uh, and of course, you've got Russia and, and Saudi have been cutting to, to, to sort of manage the market. How... how Tricky is their meeting going to be in a couple of weeks? You've got, you know, people not complying. You've got Iraq coming back and doing more and, and, and actually not complying with its cuts. You know, so all these members who are having these different, uh, uh, you know, capabilities, if you like, will it be a trickier meeting or does that make things easier for Saudi if people aren't complying with their production? Right. Before I answer your question, uh, Diala, I just want to comment on something that uh, Mukesh uh, said, because the numbers that he is giving, that he gave about non-OPEC supply are rather pessimistic, mm. actually half of uh, what the IEA and even OPEC yeah. uh, predict for non-OPEC supply. So the IEA 1.6 million, million barrels a day and OPEC 1.4 million barrels a day. But, but we hear, we heard here about 0. Um, uh, 8, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, which yeah. is uh, which is pretty uh, low compared to market expectations, especially on the US. I do recall how pessimistic people, they tend to underestimate the growth in US production and it keeps on surprising on the upside. Um, in terms of just one more point, I want to add on, um, uh, on, on China, there is a difference between what China is consuming locally for its own consumption in the market, like, like driving more factories, etc. And the fact that China is importing oil to process it and then refine it and then send it abroad. So that is that can send different market signal and actually that can actually it can lead actually to confusion about the China the test of the Chinese economy, but it does not necessarily convey a booming domestic market, which is far from being the case. On OPEC uh, quotas and a tricky meeting, well, look, I mean, non-compliance is not something new with OP within OPEC and even more so within OPEC+. Plus. I mean, throughout the history of the organization, I hardly recall a period where there was, you know, very, uh, at least voluntary compliance by every single member. There would always be somebody who is lacking, somebody who is cheating. Uh, but what matters are the big players and the kind of discipline that they can impose. And I think what the Saudis did with their voluntary cut was kind of lollipop, not to the market, but actually to other uh, producers within the organization. That gives uh, Saudi Arabia some leverage, additional leverage on other producers. But cheating will continue. Um, Non-compliance will continue. Uh, we have to think about how resilient Russian production will continue yeah. to be. That's another thing unknown. Venezuela is putting more oil in the market for how long? Iran, the same. And these are not compliant countries when it comes to OPEC uh, quota. 
Okay, thanks, Carol. Ole, talking about compliance and sanctions and Russian production, uh, we've had some developments this week on on sort of new, a new set of sanctions that's going to be imposed, new monitoring uh, of of um, Russian oil uh, around the sort of Danish Straits. Uh, supposedly, some a new measure, let's say, that that may now supposedly impact, uh, you know, how much oil. Um, uh, you know, gets through in terms of are they using the right insurance or ships complying, etc. Do you think that's going to have uh, an impact? I mean, the, the, the purpose of the sanctions and, and price cap have always been to keep that oil flowing. So why has this measure come in now? And, it, and will it impact the bottom line of Russia's revenues or is it going to impact Russian oil flows more? Well, probably mostly the the, the oil flows uh, and uh, I suppose revenues because it, it may mean that they have to accept a bigger discount just to get their oil oil out of the country. But uh, uh, there's no doubt that has been uh, that the number of ships that has been carrying Russian oil, uh, quite a few of those uh, may uh, were were probably not intended to be doing that. So uh, so we, we, it would probably have an impact. But at the same time, again, it's it's uh, it's about treading carefully because at the same time. We don't want to have uh, too much oil to take out the market, so it's really a difficult one to uh, to uh, to uh, to strike down. It's a bit of a whack a mole story here because uh, we need the oil, but at the same time we don't really need it from uh, from Russia. So, so, but I think the the tightening of the the rules uh, at least will make a few ship owners uh, think twice about uh, what has been quite a lucrative uh, trade in the past uh, past year or so. So, um, so let's see. Um, for now, uh, it's if we've seen throughout this that. Oil always finds its way to the market, and uh, and until I see that to see differently, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not too let's say optimistic yeah. that uh, Russia is gonna be suffering too much from this. Uh, Ole, just to keep you, just to, let's talk a bit about um, I don't know if it's going to have any impact, but China and U.S. leaders are meeting at the APEC summit uh, this week. W- what's not so much what are they going to talk about and what have they agreed to already talk about, but is that going to have any impact on on macro sentiment, economic sentiment? Uh, you know, in terms of whether they're going to try and make nice, nice on trade, does that make a difference? Geopolitics, we've seen the risk premium come out of that. Do we expect China to be getting involved with what's happening here in the region? Uh, you know, any expectations on the macro front from that? Well, I think there's a slight sense of optimism that uh, just the fact that they meet um, and also some of the the signals that has been sent in the up up to the meeting could indicate that there is some some goodwill on 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 both sides to uh, to try to uh, to at least uh, mend some of the uh, uh, mend the situation and uh, and and anything that uh, anything that improves on that front will obviously have a macroeconomic perspective because we are in a we're in a world, a fragmented world, which is fragmented uh, a lot. The last few, a couple of years, a lot of that has to do with the uh, with the two biggest economies in the world, U.S. and China, not really being on on good terms. Uh, so anything that comes out of that will potentially have a have a macroeconomic boost because simply there's also a question about confidence and the market has been uh, companies everyone is uh, somewhat pessimistic and uh, if if we send uh, if they send it a, a strong signal then obviously that could uh, could change that together with the the lower funding costs as I talked about okay thanks Mukesh you mentioned um the jet angle uh what other products uh if you like how are those doing uh you know we had in terms of uh, margins for refiners. We had uh, someone on the on the show earlier this week talking about Chinese uh, refinery margins are very low, and therefore, you know, they've stopped taking crude, etc., and for other reasons perhaps as well. But on the products front, and as we go into winter, uh, you know, use diesel, heating oil, etc. What's the outlook? 
Okay, now I would say that let's maybe look at, uh, we, we do look at a lot of real-time, you know, indexes. And if I look at uh, some of the bigger countries like India, like uh, US, like Brazil, all the road indicators are telling us that the demand is pretty good, right? So I would say that in that non-OPEC part of the world, demand is turning out quite, quite decent, quite good. Uh, when it comes from a product differentiation, yes, jet has been in lag. I, I hope the jet lag is over next uh, next in 2024. Uh, NAPFA is another product uh, which we could see recovery because petros, petrochemicals has been going through a bit of a down cycle. And what I hear most is the petrochemical probably by end of 24 uh, probably will be starting turning the wheel. So I guess jet, uh, gasoline and diesel probably will, will we have recovered a lot on the road transport. There might be pressure on China, particularly we have seen about 500 KBD gasoline demand lost because of the EVs. So I think that trend will likely continue. But so, so our, my, our hope is mostly on the jet, on the NEPTA side, that demand will, will come, come back forward. Now, and we had, we one had more. quite a bit of jet. Mm -hmm. We had a lot of jet support this summer already. Yeah, I mean, yes. that, yeah. Correct. And I think that's what we need to focus on. I think... Uh, uh, when we look at Q1 and refinery maintenance, heavy maintenance coming next year in our you know, February-March period, I think summer of 2024, that's what we have to watch. And that's where I believe that OPEC is hedging their bets on, that demand will come and do its job, and then they don't have to do such strong handle on the steering wheel. So till that time, I believe this will happen. And uh, and on, on the on the comment on the U.S. production side, I think I would like to also comment that you know the world needs the medium sar barrels, which is in OPEX control. World does not need all the light barrels, which makes a lot of naphtha, which makes a lot of you know other, other molecules. And if jet demand is not recovered, those are not the molecules to want. And U.S. is like a treadmill that if we stop producing today. Uh, all the wells decline so fast that next year we will lose about 2.5 million barrels of production. And only a million barrels of that production is based on the wells that have been drilled. Now, we all know that the drilling activity came down to very low levels. So U.S. production, I would say, is a bit of a seesaw between rigs and well count and how much wells are available. Our view is that next year we won't have those wells easily available to bring back to those you know, very high U.S. production numbers. So okay. it's a quality game next year more than a volume game. Yeah, maybe in the immediate sense, the sour barrels, but long term, the sweeter barrels uh, in terms of oh, yeah. direction for pet cans. But of course, we've had that M&A activity in the US, which everyone's saying is going to be supporting from an investment point of view and from a, uh, you know, a continuation point of view, um, at least production at these levels in the US, if not go up. Carol, let's talk a bit about this geopolitical risk premium that, you know, we've seen decline really uh, over the last three, four weeks. Not that not that the bombardment of, of Gaza has declined or the tensions have have been erased. But why do we continue to see that the market is so comfortable uh, with the situation physically? Has it completely ruled out a physical escalation or is it just too much supply? Could we see a change in that premium, do you think, as as and when things progress? 
I mean, first of all, if I think about the geopolitical developments around the world, including in the MENA region, I would say that the war between Israel and Hamas was, you know, just added an extra layer of geopolitical uh, risk that we have. Because think about it, you have the ongoing war in Ukraine and the war in uh, Palestine has kind of uh, diverted attention away from it, but it's still ongoing. Libya is not that settled. Uh, there is ongoing, I mean, it's situation also in, in Yemen is not settled, the situation in Syria is not settled, Iran is under sanctions. So really there are lots of, uh, you know, bushes on fire in various places in major producing regions and producing countries. And as such, to see the oil price today where it is today, is a bit surprising or unheard of only a few years ago. If you remember in the past, whenever happened in the Middle East, even talks of tensions between one player and another, it would send uh, prices spiking. But that also a reflection of one, changes in market fundamentals. You do have more non-OPEC supplies or supplies coming to the market from outside the region, and that supply is more or less flexible. And there is also the demand outlook. Demand, we talk about growth, but we have to be careful here growth compared to what? So China, again, I'll go back to China because we're comparing it to 2022, but don't forget that China was following zero COVID policy and closed its doors. So it's all relative. These percentage terms, we have to use them carefully when, when talking about growth. So it's not that we are seeing a booming growth in demand. It is healthy. It's not too bad compared, let's say, to a few years ago, but it's not that uh, the market is super tight and you have the additional supplies. Plus, you do have the spare capacity that has been building in the system, largely thanks to um, uh, OPEC plus cuts. So if I put all these things together, I can explain, I can understand why prices are where they are today. And the geopolitical risk premium cannot be seen in isolation of how much spare capacity you have in the system, because you have to think of the safety cushion that can be used to compensate for any significant supply disruptions. Okay, thanks, Carol. Oli, let me just ask you about your opinion on, on US production, because we had obviously, you know, Rakesh saying what their outlook is, and we've had other outlooks put out there that, that this momentum that we've seen this year uh, is, is actually going to continue. Some people believe it is. Um, you know, basically, US oil is back. Uh, uh, is that, do you think, something that will be uh, pushed by the administration, particularly in an election year? Is that going to be made use of, if you like? Where, where do you see that sort of non-OPEC story coming into the game and how difficult that is that going to make it for OPEC then to 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 sort of manage manage the market? And then we'll have a look at that survey. Well, I agree with uh, with what's been said previously that uh, that that I think the the growth in the U.S. Uh, shale patch is uh, or this very strong growth on a yearly basis is uh, is coming to to an end. So uh, we will not see the same kind of growth in years to come, and that that will make it less uh, less less significant. And uh, and again, also the uh, not all barrels are equal. That has also been mentioned. It is not the same quality that uh, that is being produced in the Middle East, and that's which uh, that's the one which is kept, being kept tight right now. So, so um, not sure whether how how much it uh, how much an impact it will have. And also, there's the there's still the chance that they will try to rebuild some of the strategic reserves. Uh, basically, meaning that if prices do come down too much, uh, some of that will be diverted to uh, to to the reserves. So, uh, so generally. Um, if we are in a, in a world where demand is, uh, and that's really, I think, the big, uh, the, the big sticking point, when are we going to see a peak in oil demand? And uh, 
And I think right now we probably have everything between five and and twenty years on on the table, and uh, it's probably probably it's probably closer to the uh, to somewhere in the middle. But uh, but that's really I think going to be the main one because as long as we continue to see demand growth, then then there will be need to then the US barrels will play and play a part, but potentially not weighing on the market. And how much early are Chinese is Chinese demand and particularly refinery demand there obviously playing a part in that? Uh, you know, somebody was saying to us that China is now the swing refiner of the world. It is dictating exactly where margins go. Obviously, it's a big consumer. Um, but in terms of its export quotas, product export quotas, et cetera, going forward, uh, how much sort of focus is there on that? Absolutely, uh, very, very much, uh, very much so. Because uh, yes, they they do have overcapacity, so they will be uh, supplying to the global market, and uh, and they will also be re- responding to uh, to margins because they are if if they only produce in order to make money on on excess uh, production, then obviously they will not do it if the margins are weak. So uh, so margins has been softening recently, and that uh, that has also led to them uh, dividing diverting some some barrels back into the market, and that's uh, also added to to some pressure in the physical market and uh, some of the reasons why. Why we are we're back down to these levels, but uh, with these uh, with quotas into into next year, with, depending on the size of those, it, it will be a a major uh, major uh, swing produced because we are we are a bit short of refinery capacity elsewhere in the world. So uh, so we will be looking towards that. And at the end of the day, it's not crude you put in your car; it's it's a it's a refined barrel. Uh, so so that really will play it's an, an important part. So uh, margins should be watched even closer than they probably have been in the past. Okay, thanks, Ole. There's our question, which was what we talked about a bit earlier. Denmark will be tasked with inspecting and potentially blocking tankers of Russian oil sailing through its waters under new EU plans. Uh, will this succeed in curtailing exports? So we'll see what everyone has to say about that. I mean, you know, obviously the, the prices are quite low at the moment. I suppose if prices were closer to $100 again, would 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 the EU be doing this in terms of security uh, of, of uh, supply? Mukesh, let's just go to you for some comments, perhaps on the gas, uh, just the gas picture, if you like. Um, gas prices, gas markets. We've had a story earlier about this week about US LNG coming to Europe and a, a few debates around that. But in terms of sort of the demand out within the demand outlook, Europe, et cetera, uh, and whether it might be potentially facing, uh, you know, challenges with prices this winter, it doesn't look like that's going to happen. No, uh, thank you. Well, uh, I'm an oil expert and oil analyst. Not in, uh, so gas is something I look uh, sometimes uh, on shoulders to my colleagues. And what I'm hearing, but it can uh, impact that, switching gas yeah, to oil switching, yeah. for example. Yeah. Yeah, but but what I'm hearing is that uh, they are not betting a lot uh, on the on the on the weather side now, uh, any much more. Uh, a few days ago, we used to talk about uh, oil in backwardation, gas in contango. I think gas is also a bit changed to in the prompt to a bit of a backwardated market. So I think. What I'm hearing is, despite the the winter not not probably helping, there is some prompt tightness emerging in in the gas side. Also, now I would probably stop short, uh, you know, going more talking more about the gas. But that's that's the view I'm hearing from some of my gas experts. Okay, Carol. I mean, the the, the mood in in Europe economically, you know, Germany. We've had the headlines. Uh, in the last few weeks about how it has surprised to the downside in terms of how its economy is doing, et cetera. Um, what, what's the sentiment as we sort of close out the year? Do we expect to see a better picture next year for the European economy as inflation comes under control, uh, et cetera? 
Actually, I'm glad you asked me this question because I was thinking yesterday as I was like checking the various uh, news and publications, and I could see more good news coming, especially when it comes to Europe as a whole by its largest economy, Germany. But again, we have to be careful with what we mean with good news. It's not that everything is booming. Is that that maybe we have the crisis has bottomed up and then things might look rosier from now on. So, so this is how we can be optimistic about the economic outlook, but we have to be careful that's not the end of um, uh, the current difficult period, but it's not the, the sentiment is that it's the worst is behind us. And now we have to either stay in the current position for a while or start to improve gradually after that. And let me just wrap up uh, my, my point because about um, the sanctions, about the question of the survey, because it reminds me of a uh, court ruling in the US from early 1900, I think it was 1903, where they said that, and they, they remember back then it wasn't a, a developed market, but they said, oil is, and they ruled oil is wild and it will always find an opening and it will always escape through that opening. So this is just a, um, it summarizes my sentiment and my opinion about the effectiveness of the sanctions imposed only by a small number of countries on Russian oil. Yeah, and there you go, 63% agree with agree with you there that it'll still find its way, it will not impede those exports. Ole, let me go back to you to, to close off for us. I know I started by asking you about the inflation and, and the US uh, Etc. But um, you know, we haven't talked about the sort of, uh, uh, I suppose, trickle effect of all this interest rate activity. Even if uh, they're cut by a percent next year at some point, like you 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 alluded to, um, a lot would a lot of people would argue that the interest rate activity and and the pressure on borrowing costs has not even started to hit the U.S. economy uh, or employment. Are we actually going to see that next year, even if we go down by a percent? you know, corporate earnings, et cetera. Do you see that trickling through? Are we going to have that soft landing recession? It will most certainly trickle through. Uh, the question is uh, what kind of impact it will have now that uh, there is a, 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 perhaps a bit of a relief that we uh, we, we may have turned the, turned the corner. Uh, so uh, so that will 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 kind of outweigh of of go against that but uh, but generally you are absolutely right uh, loans are expiring and they will be uh, re refinanced at much higher prices and that will really start to to kick in uh, next year so uh, so not expecting any any kind of runaway uh, economic growth perhaps we will avoid a recession but i think we will see uh, further weakness uh, in in growth before we before we get to uh, to a turning point but whether we hit recession i think that that may that potentially could be averted by 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 the sense that we we passed we've seen the worst now in, in in terms of interest rates and and have we seen the highest in terms of where the dollar is going to go given that sentiment that rates have have plateaued and if anything and you know how 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 is that faring uh, and also other commodities just give us your 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 wrap on that in terms of gold other sort of safe haven if you like uh instruments well, lower lower cost of funding basically also means a a lower general consanker because we have to remember all all commodities should be trading a consanker because of the forward cost of funding and storage and so on. So as that cost comes down, the the uh, the forward curve should be uh, becoming more and more attractive as well. So that will underpin investment demand. And generally, if we do see uh, funding costs start to come down, we could see restocking start to impact, uh, especially the metal space. The agricultural space, I'm very worried about weather wise. We are uh, we've seen some pretty tough conditions on the southern hemisphere, and that uh, we've seen already that lifting some of the some of the soft commodities and the energy prices. Um, I, I agree with the uh, the the high 80s as a, as a as a range that we could see oil next year. 
Okay, so we're, 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 we've moved away from that $100 mark that people were just talking about only six weeks ago. Ole Hansen, Karen Ackley, and uh, Mukesh Sadev, thank you so much, uh, everyone, for joining us this morning. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. And Bye -bye. we have that uh, halftime talk interview coming up uh, with uh, Jonathan Fulton uh, on his views. He's a China specialist, so a lot of good insight there on, on China's geopolitical relations with this region uh, uh, and, 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 and the US. So I encourage you all to tune into that. Thanks so much, everyone.